Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Numbers, Preparing for Promise. The book of Numbers gives us insight and warnings for how a covenant people of God should engage with seasons in the wilderness. We will see God's sovereign hand at work over the course of this series as he shaped and molded Israel in preparation for the promised land that awaited them. Although Israel endured many trials and tribulations, oftentimes due to their own sin, the Lord's plan of salvation is at work in numbers as he centers his people on himself. Please turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14. We'll read verses 20 through 25. If you do not have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. That is a gift to you if you do not have one at home. The Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested, but surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors, nor of those who have treated me of the contempt would ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude that the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of the land. Now turn around and don't go on toward the land where the Amalekites and Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must see the out, set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brother Charles. I hope you've already turned in your Bibles to um, Numbers chapter 14. If you haven't, I, I physically want you to turn there, and I'm going to do some catching up. Everybody say catch up. And mustard. Check. So we're in our third week of our series through the book of Numbers. And how many of you have enjoyed the series so far? Yeah, yeah. So let's recap just where we've been, and then we're going to move on in the drama. Everybody say drama. How many of you have got drama in your family? Anybody? Just mine? Okay. Look. If you've got drama in your family, you've made it to the right Sunday, because there's all types of drama going down in numbers, so you should feel at home. In week number one, uh, the very first week, what we found was as the people of God have left slavery, and they're at Mount Sinai, and um, God is preparing them. Everybody say preparing. God is preparing them for something special. God is preparing them for the promised land, and uh, he gives them the Ten Commandments. He tells them how they should be living as a free people, as a promised land people, no longer slaves, and the very first thing he demands of them is that he should be central, and what we found in week one is that God demands. This is not optional. God demands centrality in your life. He has to be the center. 
And that was chapters one through four. He put everything in order. We saw the camp, we saw how it was laid out, and at the very center of the camp was the tabernacle where his presence resided. Powerful, powerful picture of, of two and a half million estimated people centered around God. Week number two, last week, we found out that his presence, everybody say presence, his presence is sufficient. Do you believe that? His presence is sufficient, and in fact, is it not only sufficient, it is needed and necessary. And so as we worked our way through five, chapters 5 into chapters, chapter 9, we found them getting ready to leave camp, okay? They're getting ready to leave Mount Sinai. These two and a half million people all organized, all ready to go, in formation, centered around God. Centered around God, they are about to leave, and this is how they know when to go and when to stay, his presence. We found that during the day, his presence would rise from the tabernacle in the form of a cloud and would lead them by day, and it was a pillar of fire by night. Can you imagine seeing this? This isn't fictitious. This isn't imaginary. But to look up and see the presence of God Guiding and directing, guiding and directing, and his presence was the pivot point. And we, and we said that our lives have to be guided by his presence. They have to be. Which lands us in verse 10 today. Everybody say verse 10, I mean chapter 10. Chapter 10, let me just give you in summation, we're going to get from 10 to 11 to 12 to 13, and then we're going to land today's message in 14. In summary, in chapter 10, uh, the Lord tells Moses, this is how the people are going to know. So if, the, if a big cloud in the sky wasn't enough, the Lord tells Moses this. He says, hey, Moses, I want you to blow a trumpet. I should have had you bring a trumpet. Y'all remember the Revelation series when I had my father-in-law blow that trumpet? Yeah, it freaked some of you out. I don't think some of you are ready for that. I should have done it. Daggone it, I forgot. You mind if your pastor gets dressed again? Totally unplugged this morning. All right. We got a long way to go and communion to do. So, when it is time to go, the people, the Levites who run the tabernacle, take it down, set it up, do all of those things, they're going to blow a trumpet. And that means that Judah is going to lead out and they're going to begin traveling away from Mount Sinai. When it's time to stop, they blow the trumpet. When it's time to go, they blow the trumpet. When they have a victory, they blow a trumpet. You see this trumpet later in Scripture, too. There's some trumpets that are going to sound later in Scripture that declare the Lord's victory. In verses 1 through 10, we see the trumpets and God putting those in motion. And then in the second year, so they have now been in, in this wilderness at Mount Sinai going uh, into their second year, around April, May, June, according to the Hebrew lunar calendar, they take off. 
The cloud rises. Just picture it with me. Cloud rises from the temple and they take off walking. He doesn't like that. So they head out. Now at this point, can I, can I just be very clear? At this point, you know how we said this is about their wandering in the wilderness? They're not wandering yet. They're not wandering yet. They are marching. They are on point. They're on destination. They're following the Lord. They're not wandering yet. And we're going to find out today why they have to begin wandering. Everybody say wandering. And they're, wand- they're, they're marching right now in order in verses 11 through 36 of chapter 10. There's a specific order. And you know what's at the very center of their march pattern? His presence. The tabernacle is traveling right in the middle of them. Now, it doesn't take long, okay? The, how long does, have you ever been on a long road trip? Okay. We talked about road trips last week. About, and, and if you have kids in the car, you know this to be true. About how long does it take before the complaining and fussing and nagging at one another begin? How long? Almost instant. For some of you, you don't even get out of the driveway. Samuel barely made it here this morning. Forget a long track. Oh, and you thought, I, you thought you could pretend when you got here. It doesn't take long before the people of God, they barely get three days into their journey and they start complaining. Complaining. And why do they begin complaining? Because this, can I tell you one of my hopes for this series, why I wanted to walk through the book of Numbers? I want to expose every tactic the devil uses against the people of God to derail them from all that God has promised. I want to expose it. And the devil has not changed his tactics to this day. The same tactics he uses here, he has always used. And can I tell you, the people of God constantly fall for. And the very primary tactic that the devil uses to distract the people of God is this. If I can get them to question his word, if I can get them to question his promises, then I've got them. If I can just get them to question. So it begins, though, with complaining. Everybody say complaining. They begin complaining. Very short-term memory. These are the same people uh, that crossed through the Red Sea, and now they are complaining. They are out in the wilderness. Um, and can I tell you, chapters 11 and 12, I don't have a whole lot of time to like d- deep dive but it's crazy. Oh, you don't believe me. Let me tell you a little bit about what happens in 11. They start complaining. The Lord comes in the form of fire and kills the outer edges of their camp. Because they were complaining. And then we see them start complaining again. Oh, I wish I was back in Egypt. I wish I was back enslaved. We had meat and garlic. How many of you like garlic? Yeah, look, you come to my mother-in-law's house. She's got this minced garlic in a jar in the fridge. Anybody got this jar? Yeah, it's like a seven and a half gallon jar of minced garlic. And look, 
you can't watch her make salsa because look, she, she. This is her making salsa with garlic. Ain't a vampire on this planet coming close to the walls household. That's not biblical, okay? So I was kidding. They start complaining. Man, I wish I had that meat. I wish I could go back to Egypt. And the Lord sends quail. So, so first, fire singes the outside of the camp, okay? Just imagine and picture this for me. The next day, um, they're complaining about not having good enough meat. Now, the Lord is pro- providing food for them. We see this. He provides manna. But it's not enough. They, want, they, they have all those same tastes of slavery in Egypt. And so the Lord sends them quail. Everybody say quail. I, this is wild. Let me, let, me, let me turn over here real quick. Look. In verse 9, um, Moses hears all them complaining, everything like this. Uh, if you look in chapter 11, they're traveling. Uh, the Lord brings them um, uh, manna and then they get so full on this manna that the Bible says there was manna for miles. Miles. And they go and they collect all this quail. Not manna, quail. Quail for miles. They collect all the quail and they begin, what the Bible says is gorging themselves. I mean, gluttony at its finest. I'm talking Western Sizzlings type stuff. Do y'all remember Western Sizzling? Okay. And the Lord, it says, strikes them dead. These people who were so hungry for Egypt, he strikes them dead. And they called that place the graves of gluttony. I don't know. This seems wild to me. So then Moses has a little bit of a breakdown. Okay, so you're leading two and a half million people through the desert. And Moses has a complete meltdown with the Lord. Let me read his meltdown to you. This is what Moses said. Because they continue to complain. Everybody say complain. Moses was aggravated, so he said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining. They keep saying, give us more meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. Watch this in verse 15 of chapter 11. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Have you been around people that complain so much that you're like, Lord, in my life? You've thought it. You have. This is where Moses is at. And it's very interesting because later the people of God will mimic the same characteristics where they will say, complain, complain, complain. Here's Moses. You know what I'm seeing here? Complaining 
is contagious. Doubt is contagious. Fear is contagious. Complaining is contagious. And it's reflective of what's about to come. So he got all these complaints. So he, uh, he, the Lord sends him some help. He, uh, the Lord has him pick 70 leaders. And all these leaders, he imparts his spirit upon. And, and so he, they can go prophesy to all two and a half million people. And they can take their complaints to these 70 guys. So these 70 uh, folks come up and they begin prophesying. His spirit falls. Uh, he imparts the spirit he had on Moses to these 70 leaders. You see God imparting, imparting his spirit in other places in scripture too. In Joel, uh, Acts is quoting Joel where there's going to come a day when he pours out his spirit upon all flesh. That's what the Bible says. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's what happened here. His spirit came upon them and they prophesied. In 30 through 35, we see the quail for miles and the graves of gluttony. And then we end up in chapter 12. Now, breezing through chapter 12 here, um, in summation, there's like three folks leading, okay? There's three leaders. There's Moses. Everybody say Moses. Uh, his brother Aaron, okay, and then his sister Miriam. Well, Miriam and Aaron, talk about drama. Miriam and Aaron say, we're just as much leading this thing as Moses. In fact, their exact words were this. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us too? And so they have this little spell of jealousy with Moses the Lord ends up striking Miriam with leprosy and they have to kick her out of the camp for a week until she was better. Um, and then they moved on. And that puts us in 13 and where I want to focus today. Um, very quickly, I do want to point out one verse, though, in, in chapter 11. It's verse 23. The Lord said to Moses, Has my arm lost its power, now you will see whether or not my word comes true. There was this complaining attitude across all of them, this doubt that maybe God isn't as powerful as he thought he was. That maybe God wasn't as powerful as he said he was. And lots of them were beginning to believe it. Have you ever had a moment in your life like that? Is God really going to keep his promises? And so he tells Moses, has my arm lost its power? Okay. Now, anybody like spy movies? Wow. Okay. No, it's fine. You don't have to admit it. I only read the Bible, Pastor. I don't watch any of that filth. I don't even have a Netflix subscription. Yeah, okay. You know what? Your judgmental eyes. I watch lots of spy movies. I love 007. That's what I picture when I read chapter 13, okay? So here's the picture. 
Do, do we have that map by any chance? Corey, do we have that map by any chance? Pull up this map. I want to show you where we are at. Oh, on it. So they have made their way. Look down at number eight down here at the bottom. They have left Mount Sinai, and they are making their way nine, ten, kind of up uh, the Sinai Peninsula here through this desert. And the Bible says they enter the wilderness of Paran. And they camp up to the left near the river of Egypt. Do you see that name that says Kadesh Barnea? So they've traveled, they've traveled, they've traveled, and they've landed right here at 12, Kadesh Barnea. And they've set up camp. Well, they decide. They're, they're now here. They're at the brink. They're ready to enter the promised land. They made it. And the scripture says in 13 that the Lord said to Moses, I want you to send out 12. Everybody say 12. 12 spies. 12 men. And I want them to look out. I want them to go peruse the area. Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land that I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 tribes. So Moses did this. And then you see a list of the names of the people that were sent. And so, uh, to briefly tell you what happened, these 12 guys head out. They, they kind of leave the wilderness area. They make their way towards the promised land, towards Canaan. And they land at a place called Hebron, okay? It's kind of, they make their way up into the mountains and then they're kind of overlooking here this valley. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. The grapes were so big because Moses had asked them, hey, if you, if, if you can bring anything back, bring, bring something back so we can show them what was there. And so... The grape clusters were so big that two guys had to carry them. As a matter of fact, did you know if you go to Israel today and you um, take a taxi tour of the Holy Land, there's a, I think it's the Holy Land taxi tour, the image on the cabs are of two men carrying a grape cluster to this day. So this is what's the image, the image of and, and literally what they describe as a land flowing with milk and honey. That wasn't literal. It just meant, hey, this place is plentiful and it is everything that God has said it would be. And then as we continue through 13, and they are giving their report. They're gone for 40 days. 40 days. They come back. And look at how this report goes. There, there's a majority report and a minority report, okay? Majority report, minority report. And to put it simply, despite everything they saw and have seen and everything that God has said and has promised, 10 out of the 12 come back and say this. 
But the other men who explored, this is verse 31, the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. So Caleb gives that big report that I just gave. We can certainly conquer it. That's Caleb's words. We can conquer it. We can go. Let's go now. He was ready. You know that person? Always ready to go? That was Caleb. He wanted to go right then, and he trusted the Lord. But the other men who had complained in verse 31 explored the land with him, disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. You see what's happened? Complaining has given way to doubt. So now they just doubt everything. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. Everybody say huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, who uh, next to them we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. You want an interesting research study? Here's some homework. You ready? You ready for some homework? You didn't do last week's homework, so you, should, you need to catch up. You ready? Go home and research Nephilim. Nephilim. N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M. Nephilim. Just to give you a picture, there's this, there's this story amongst Hebrew tradition that there were some fallen angels that lived in this area that so these upwards of 36 feet tall, fallen angels, okay? None of that's verified. It's all kind of verbal storytelling, but it's a very interesting research project if you want to look into it. So now, there's a majority report. 10 out of the 12 said, no go, there's no way, we can't do it. And then Joshua and Caleb said, we can, and that God will. Unbelief often presents itself as being factual, as being practical, or down to earth. A lot of us try to mask our unbelief by saying, oh, I'm just, I'm a fact teller, I'm a truth teller. I'm just trying to be factual. Yet the most factual and practical and down-to-earth thing that we can do as believers is to trust the word of the living God. Here we see them masking their unbelief. The, the issue wasn't their circumstances or their environment. You see, faith and unbelief are not environment issues. They're heart issues. So they wanted to mask their unbelief in God, in his word, their rebellion against God by saying, hey, you know what? It's just too much. It looks too big. And it's kind of almost kind of spectacular type wording. Everyone was huge. The whole thing, they'll devour anyone. They had just been there. They didn't get devoured, but they come back and say, everybody gets devoured that goes through there. You see, God needs to work something out in them. Here's what I need to understand about wilderness seasons and wandering. God is 
purifying his people in the wilderness. They still have this slave mindset. They're, they're still operating based on themselves. And God is working things out for a purpose in the wilderness. And we're about to see this complaining and this doubt break out into full-on rebellion. Everybody say rebellion. And this is the typical series anyway. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, it starts out with just some complaining. You think it's just a little, you know, just light-duty complaining. And then all of a sudden, you start, your life starts looking like you doubt God. And the next step from complaining to doubt is fear and rebellion. Look at the very first verse in 14. The whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Why do you think they were upset? Anybody? They're scared. They were scared. Their expectations of God was that he was just going to make everything easy. When really what God was wanting from them is just their trust and their faith. These 12 people, these 12 men represented the whole community and that their whole community was in doubt. Their whole community was fearing. And we see in verses two through four, look look at this. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Look at this in verse 4. They plotted among themselves, let us choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. We're going to turn this car around. We're going to turn this car around. And look how man-centered their rebellion is. How, how me, everybody say me. Our rebellion is always me-centered. Your rebellion is always me-centered. So they weren't okay with God's selection. God selected Moses to lead. God selected Aaron to lead. And, and their issue they, they would try to say, oh, it's, you know, my issues with Moses and Aaron, or I'm just thinking about my wife and kids, when really they weren't trusting God to care for their wife and kids. They weren't trusting God with the leadership he put in place. So they wanted to take a vote. Okay. Let me say this. If I have ever in my life since uh, a sickness in the church in America is this th- sense that democracy is how God works. No. God is a theocracy. God is in control. And, and this is going to step on some of your toes here, but uh, the people of God basically said, hey, we don't like God's plan, so we're going to vote against it. We're going to vote. We're going to have a church business meeting. We're going to vote against God. But 
Let's pick a new leader. I'm fearful today. I'm fearful today for a couple reasons, and I'll tell you why. You and I make terrible gods. You make a terrible God. And what they are doing, and the people of God constantly do this, is they make themselves God. Let's take God out of the equation. Because what I feel and what I think and my plans have got to be better than God's. Moses and Aaron go to praying. They go to praying, pleading with God. Joshua and Caleb go out and start presenting to the people again, trying to remind these people of what? The promises of God. If there's one thing to combat complaining, doubt, fear, is this. Remind yourself of the promises of God. And this is exactly what Joshua and Caleb did. Then we see this really, uh, this response, okay? Full-on rebellion. You ready? See what that looks like? These people look at Joshua and Caleb and say, we're gonna kill you. We're gonna stone you. And as soon as they do, the Bible says the presence of God showed up. In cloud form is what we assume. The people respond in more rebellion. And God shows up. And there's this really cool interaction that I don't have time to go into where God tells Moses, He's frustrated. How long? This is what the Lord said to Moses. How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? I will disown them. And it says destroy in the NLT, but, but what that word means is disinherit. They're no longer gonna inherit the things that I have for them. They have no protection. Then I will make into a nation uh, greater and mightier than they are. And so Moses goes to interceding. He prays this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And he basically calls God to his promises. He says, he, now understand, God has not forgot his promises. God has not forgot his promises. But if there's anything in this particular text that, that encourages me is that intercessory prayer is a tool God uses. Have you ever felt like your prayers mean nothing? Like they're hitting the ceiling? Like, I get this question a lot. If God is really sovereign, do I even need to pray? Yes! God is absolutely sovereign. But God also uses providentially the prayers of his people to accomplish the things he wants to accomplish. You should be asking God and interceding for people. That's what we did this morning. We interceded for those that we hoped that God would draw. And who knows what God is gonna do with those prayers. Can I tell you he heard them? Intercessory prayer works. I have a book in my office that every staff meeting I write down 
prayer requests day after day. And at the front, I keep a list of people that I intercede for on a regular basis because I believe that God answers the prayers of his people. We see it right here. Because how does the Lord respond to Moses' prayer? He says, I will pardon them as you have requested. And then we see the judgment. And then, then we're going to have communion here in a moment. What did we say at the beginning? So they left the mountain. They're making their way through the wilderness. They get to Kadesh Barnea. All this stuff has happened. People have died. It's been crazy. And God has been working things out of his people. He's been sanctifying them. Okay. Um, just a quick pause break. Christians are to be actively sanctified daily. Why do I say that? Not only do we see his sanctifying process here in Numbers and all through Numbers, you're going to see this, all through Scripture, it's because you have not made it. And... I don't know how else to say it to you, but you're sinful. You are currently rebelling against God. And for those of you who think you have made it and, you've st- and the Holy Spirit has no sanctifying work in you currently, you need to wake up. There is, should be an active sanctification going on in your life. And I'm afraid there are so many Christians who feel like I'm sanctified enough. I'm better than my neighbor. You should, you should see my cousin, Joe Abbas. And I just made that name up if you couldn't tell. If you have a cousin, Joe Abbas, please come to me after service. That could be a word from the Lord. I'm just kidding. You're comparing yourself to other people. You're comparing yourself to the world. When God puts his presence at the center of his people so that we compare ourselves not to how bad other people are, but by how holy God is. And all through the wilderness, we see this process of God working out and sanctifying his people. You sh- your life should look different tomorrow than it does today. You shouldn't leave here the same every Sunday. I can't preach a whole sermon on sanctification, but I can tell you that the difference between uh, people who know the Lord and people who don't know the Lord is that people who know the Lord are constantly growing towards him. There's no such thing as a stagnant Christian. Uh Uh-oh. Sanctification is not something you opt in in and out of. It's something he does in you. And honestly, not even by your choice. He's working it out in you. And then we see the judgment. Because of their rebellion, God responds to Moses' intercession. He says, okay, I'm going to pardon them, but here's what I'm going to do. 
You remember in the first week we said they took a census of everybody 20 years old and older? God tells Moses, everyone 20 years old and older, except for Joshua and Caleb. They're going to die out here in this wilderness. I'm going to have to kill off the old man. before you can go to the promised land. He said, those, those men went to the, uh, th- those spies went out for how many days? You know how long they're gonna wander in the wilderness? The Lord says, they were out there for 40 days. I'm going to condemn them to the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. Because they've forgotten. They've already been in the wilderness two years. And so at this point in, in, in chapter 14, 38 more years. And that's why, if you look at the map, um, if you look at that map, there is a big loop in the map. You see that loop right there in the desert, in the wilderness? They're going to circle that thing for 38 years. Until what? The entire generation passes away who doubted God, relied on themselves. You see what the Lord is after in the wilderness? He wants to put to death some things in the life of his people. Yep. He wants to put, some de- put to death some things in our lives as well. In wilderness seasons and wanderings, it's not aimless. It's not purposeless. God is doing something in the wilderness, and it is purifying and sanctifying his people. They're going to circle that thing for 38 years. Now think about this. You ready for, for a rough estimation? That is 85 people a day for 38 years. 85 funerals a day for 38 years. Roughly one and a half million people he's going to kill. Now some of them are going to die in a couple chapters. We're going to see where the Lord opens up and swallows thousands of them at once. You know why? Because they start complaining. This is the rhythm all through numbers. Complain, doubt, fear, and rebel. Complain, doubt, fear, and rebel. And you will see those same rhythms in your life. He wants to put to death some things in us. And just very quickly as we get ready to take communion. He's wanting to put to death three things in them. Unbelief. Doubt. He wants to put to death in them self-reliance. He wants to put to death in them self-focus. He's going to kill it off to purify his people. And here's, here's the comfort. Here's the comfort. Sounds like a lot of death. Sounds like a lot of negativity, right? God will accomplish everything he has promised. He's going to accomplish all of it. And honestly, this is the largest story in all of Israel's history. You'll see all through the Bible, people 
remembering back to this exact rebellion and saying, Lord, don't let us be like them. Help us not to be people who are self-reliant or self-focused or people of unbelief. Help us to believe. And one of the things that is, encourages me here is that God has a destination. The destination never changes. The destination never changes. All of us have somewhere to go. And these three things are things he needs to put to death in you as well. I wonder today whose report you're going to believe. Who are you going to believe today? This is an, a perfect story of is the majority always right? Is the majority always right? There's a lot of people that go with that, um, that thought process that, hey, if everybody else is saying it, must be true. No, I just want to be one of the few that trust in God even when it looks weird. I want to be one of the few that believes in his promises even when it doesn't shake out the way I think that it should. Who will you believe? You know, also in scripture, I want to point this out to you. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah has the same kind of question. He says this, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? And then he goes on to tell about Jesus. And, and even in here, he says he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we not, did not care. Yet it, it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced, watch this, for our rebellion. He was pierced for your rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten huh, so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Watch in verse 6 of Isaiah 53. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Sound familiar? Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.